0: Hi, and welcome to Trail to Austin, a place to get to meet the people of Austin and find out how they became the people of Austin. I'm your host, Bob Morse, and sitting across town prepping for Halloween by watching the horror show that is the Dallas Cowboys is Joel McCall.
1: I have never been so terrified in my life.
0: It's a wonderful season for a wonderful year for football teams from Texas. That's all we'll say about that. Uh Uh, (laughs) Uh-huh. So this afternoon we have a uh, interesting guest that, that I think you guys this is uh, how do I put this legendary Austin this this is part of the fabric of Austin um, and this woman has helped found something that that really is just part of the culture of Austin so with that I'm going to introduce you to one of the founders of Esther's Follies Shannon Sedgwick how you doing this hi afternoon, there Shannon
2: Good.
0: Good.
1: Yeah. Hi. Hi, Joel. Hi, Bob. Nice to have you.
0: So for the uneducated, and, you know, they say that most people have lived here, or 10% of them have lived here in less than five years. Tell them a little bit about what Esther's Follies is and how you came to find that.
2: Well, if you ever walked down 6th Street and walked by this window with uh, all kinds of lights and weird things going on on stage, and you are, it's the stages in the windows, you're the deer in the headlights, and then you realize that beyond the stage is about 250 people watching the show, and you, (laughs) and that's your first experience, or most people's first experience of Esther Follies. At least it was until the pandemic hit. Now those windows are boarded up, just like everything else on Sixth Street, pretty much. Um, and we are we're working in a different medium. We're working on virtually online. But uh, but we started in 1977. Uh, it was a really good year for comedy. That year, because there were a lot of people doing things like Saturday Night Live was starting to come to the United States rather than from Canada, and and you know there were just all kinds of stand-up clubs that were starting then. It was just the beginning of a real good era for comedy, and and we were uh, we were part of that little tag team craziness in Austin. We had uh, my husband Michael Shelton and I had started a restaurant. Called Liberty Lunch, and it was uh, it was an outdoor space with, and we did music on the back stairs, and we we made gumbo, and we did we just started into our first entrepreneurial thing, and uh, then about two years later, we got a space available to us on Sixth Street that was an old Kahunto bar that had been torn down or had been closed because there had been too many shootings there they were still digging the bullets out of the walls and uh and so it was it was it was available for very little money and the guy who wanted us to get involved in it he wanted to do the uh, he wanted to do the pool tables he was a pool table guy and so in exchange for letting him put his pool tables in there we could run the place so we decided okay we're going to make this into a theater sort of a comedy show a review, a vaudeville show. We uh, we had done theater in the past. That goes way back. We had done some stuff at UT, something called Now the Revolution in 1968. And uh, so we were, we were, I was a drama major. My husband was an architecture major and we had both dropped out of school and decided we were going to open a restaurant, get into business ourselves. So then this little space came up and we decided, okay, we'll make that into uh, a follies, we'll call it Esther's Follies, because we we liked the swimming Esther Williams style uh, crazy visuals, and uh, and so that that in 1977 that's when we started Esther's Follies, and it was a pool hall basically with a window stage in the windows, and we did free shows. We we passed the hat, and uh, and in the middle of the of, of the acts we uh we went out and did a special you know song for uh to try to get everybody to give us some money and we passed a basket and terry galloway was a uh, little jimmy dying of some horrible disease that we never told what it was and i was uh ruth ruth carter stapleton um, religious fanatic and i was trying to save her and so give us your dollars, give us your money. And we made some money, but our, uh, our cast was like about 32 people, <laughs> a lot of people wow. in that show. <laughs> and they were from different veins of, of comedy and, and musical comedy. And, and, uh, it just, it just took off. It was an underground hit. You had to walk down an alley through the dirt and the horrible smells and then come, come into our backyard. And it was uh, then suddenly you were in kind of like a, a playground for for hipsters and and kids. You know there was beautiful art and and then you walked into the theater and it was like a it was almost like a, a baseball game. The stages were three different places and the bleachers where you sat and and then you watched the show and and outside on the street were activities going on too because we always. Kind of included the street, and we also made jokes about the street. So it was the street was part of the show at all times.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is really for people who haven't seen it yet. It's it's really got a different flavor than shows you're used to seeing, you know, because they obviously have a lot of material to draw on being in the political capital and then the capital of Texas. You know, um, the people walking down Sixth Street. It, it makes it a very um, very funny show, very different. Well,
2: we're always into political satire, so every every politician, mostly national politicians, we would make fun of, and every president we made fun of. We did great work with Clinton. We did great work with W. We did, uh, of course, it's been a field day with Trump, but didn't see him go. Thank you. A no
1: lot of material there. <laughs> <laughs> no.
2: But, yeah, so our, the political satire was a big backbone of the place and still continues to be so. And uh, and then beyond that, we liked big musical splashy numbers. So we would do a, a parody of S- Swan Lake and call it Swine Lake, and we all had piggy noses and stuff. And 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 we had some really beautiful musical people at the time, uh, Leova Rosanoff and Steve Soji were just amazing. Uh, they, they did really great work with uh, classical music. So we all learned how to sing. And, uh, and we did some pretty amazing things for just a bunch of crazy kids on 6th Street.
1: So tell me, tell us about a typical week for Esthers, going through the writing, because you, you are so topical. Yeah,
2: we have to start. Sunday nights, start looking at all the news and that you haven't already seen, jotting down everything that has been going on, and uh, and I write to all the writers. There's about five writers, and uh, and ask them to work on specific things. So I give assignments on Sunday night, and then on Monday at noon we have a writers meeting there at the theater. Now we have it virtually on uh, Zoom, and uh, and everybody kind of gets to talk about what they're interested in doing and, you know, work together collaboratively too. And and so then everybody has their assignments. Tuesday at noon, we start rehearsals. And uh, all of our actors have to be able to not have a day job, which has made it difficult for us to get some great actors in town who have day jobs. But basically we have a cast of about 12 people. And a good musical director, Doug Ewart, who has been with us for many years now and uh, and he can do great tracks, so we end up having musical numbers that he will do the tracks for, and then we'll, he plays the piano along with his tracks and and uh, so we're, we're able to do a lot of different things musically as well so it sounds like a full orchestra over there we don't really have too many props or aren't well we have props, but we don't have uh, like set pieces, and we don't have a big painted backdrop or anything like that it's all just because we've got to have that window so the uh, tuesday after the uh, read-through of all the scripts then we decide which things we're going to start working on immediately and we have rehearsal from noon to three on tuesday and wednesday on thursday we we have six o'clock rehearsal before the show and anything that's going into the show is going to be rehearsed heavily that night. And then we do the show at 8 on Thursday. And then we have two shows on Friday, 8 and ten, two Two shows on Saturday, 8 and 10. And Sunday we're off and starting over. Oh,
1: <laughs> so, boy. It just doesn't, never stops, does it? <laughs> no,
2: no. That was really the best part about it is always busy. It has been a bit of a, a blow to not be doing shows, for sure. I like
1: that. So So you had some uh, skits that have become standards through the years. I'm thinking particularly of your Patsy Cline. Mm -hmm. Where did that come from? Patsy
2: Cline was not first mine. It was done originally by Jeannie Baxter, who is now Jeannie Nichols. And actually before that, by Mary Collins. She just sang it straight. She didn't do anything. Weird, and then Jeannie started pulling Kleenex out of her the top of her dress, and yeah. a few, and then I just took it to the nth degree and started pulling spaws and, you know, all kinds of things out of my very large bosom. It has been, you know, there have been many people that have said, "Oh, I saw someone who did that. I saw this little kid who did that. I saw this drag queen who did that." Said, yep. I'm sure yeah. that everybody's borrowed that idea, so.
1: Well, it's a classic. It's, yeah, it, it is That's a
2: classic bits. That's one yeah. Got um, Leova wrote this incredible version of, uh, the hallelujah chorus called the jalapeno chorus that was in a Mexican restaurant. And, uh, it has gone back and forth. We've, we've, we come back and use our classics occasionally if they'll still work. And that one has many a time. And then we have some others like Carrie On, Carrie Fitzgerald used to, uh, do a bit called, uh, Five Flags Over Texas. And it started out as, uh, Rick Perry and his version of Texas and how when we split up into five states, this will be the way they will be. And he told, he does it like a monologue. And, uh, and then he, we've had Sean Branigan take it over. And so it's been in the show almost, you know, eight years. Uh, and, uh, um, Kerry gets his $50 check every month, so he's
0: yeah, happy. Hey. <laughs> Get them into a higher tax bracket. There you go. <laughs> well, yeah, that's one of the things that, I mean, that's why I say this is such kind of an Austin ins- institution. It's not only making fun of the, um, the national political figures, but you have plenty of wealth here in Austin, you know. Um, I know Yeah, you-
2: definitely. It's harder to do as many things. Like for one thing, at you know, uh, Abbott, just doesn't excite me at all. So, you know, I just don't think he's... uh, But sometimes you can make things... We can make jokes about how the Texas legislature is just a bunch of, you know... Country club boys. Wells, basically. We can make fun of things like that. And we also used to do a lot about uh, Barton Springs when... When the SOS was fighting Barton's, uh, you know, they were going to take over Barton Springs or they were going to build things to ruin the Springs. We went down to the to the uh, uh, city council chambers and I sang a song, had a big old fish on my shirt and, um, there. So we've done we've done some bits in the community. Basically, we have done and oh, I guess it was in 19 mid mid 80s. Our theater burned down. Uh, we had, we were in. The, uh, a little space that's now in the middle of our 500 block where we are uh, and it burned in the middle of the night there was a circus clown that we had allowed to sleep there and he was smoking with a friend and it started a fire and the whole place burned down about 3am and luckily um, I mean it ruined Leova's beautiful baby grand piano but all our costumes were back in a in a little dressing room that we had in the backyard and so we were able to we had just rented the ritz which is now the alamo and uh, we just packed up our stuff and the next night we were doing the show at the ritz so and and luckily people just opened their hearts to us austin we didn't. We didn't think about ourselves as being any kind of institution. We were just doing it week to week. And but suddenly, you know, there were all these people, all these musicians that wanted to do benefits for us. Like Jerry Jeff Walker did a benefit for us, and many, many other people loaned us theater chairs that we could put into the Ritz. And and even uh, Lily Tomlin heard about our plight, and uh, she was looking for a place to do uh, her one-woman show. Um, uh, the it had to do with the universe anyway. She was writing it and wanting to do it in places. So she just pulled her RV with she and her, and her wife, uh, Jane, um, uh, and they, Jane Wagner, and they, they wrote it. She read it off of a clipboard every night. And she, for a whole week, she did her show and, and honed it and got it ready to go to Broadway with it. And, uh, and we got to watch. It was an amazing experience. Nice and then she and uh, on that sunday of that weekend she lily tomlin and ann richards did a benefit for us and uh, they were dancing ritz cracker boxes
1: I that. <laughs> that 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 is so awesome so what did the insurance company say when he said well we had the circus clown sleeping there and he was smoking
2: <laughs> we let them decide how it happened okay. <laughs> so we didn't turn our guy in
1: Okay, so uh you had a special on HBO, didn't you?
2: It was on the Comedy Channel. Oh,
1: the Comedy Channel, right, right, right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what it was, was your connection it was, with
2: them? Unfortunate, because really it was it was fun. I mean, these were guys from out of town, and they all thought they knew everything about what how to do a, a show, but they really liked our live quality. However, they did not make it live. They kind of treated it like it was live but they put the people out on the street which made it so obviously not live you know you know and and our the pieces that they picked they were okay there was a few that really worked well like carry on had done a great uh, parody of of uh elvi the Elvis impersonators and uh, Margaret Wiley, who was an amazing woman who did Chichi La Bamba, and she was uh, would go out in the audience and harass men and uh, pick her hunk of the night. And but she was one of the great, one of the great performers, and she's no longer alive, unfortunately. But uh, but she did an, a great Elvis impersonator, a female Elvis impersonator, and, and some of those went very well. But some of them did not. And I don't really feel like, I mean, we had we had that one episode that we turned into two 30-minute episodes, and it went okay, but we never, it just wasn't right. We didn't really feel like Esther's was the style of a, couldn't do a television show. Maybe we could now, but uh, because we have learned how to do um, virtual, we have learned how to do little films, and uh, that's been a great learning experience, too.
1: Well, and speak a little bit to that transition. Uh, I know as a musician, we've gone from playing in front of people where you draw off of the response, you draw off of the energy. Absolutely. And you do a live stream and you finish and it's, hello. <laughs> <laughs> what is that like? course, Stephen
2: Colbert who can't, you yeah. know, he's got his wife laughing in the corner. <laughs> yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> you know. So I would have to imagine that that is just a, a huge adjustment for you all.
2: It has been. Yeah, definitely. And unfortunately, it's been a sad. That's, a, that's one thing that we miss so much is just having that audience rolling with its laughter coming up at you. But meanwhile, we, we, we write in sketches and we write musical numbers that, that have punchlines and finishes. We don't ever rely on the audience to finish it out with a laugh we just uh you know so that's been that's been okay i i think really a lot of our pieces that we've done uh, we're doing it on something called patreon i don't know if you know about patreon but it's a uh, you can it's a subscription series and we have about 248 subscribers right now we would love to have more but uh, they can pay as much as hundred dollars per month or as little as five dollars per month and if you pay ten dollars per month you get an esther's t shirt (laughs) you (laughs) pay twenty five you you get an esther's book because we wrote a book and so it's it's been a really good experience because now we can uh, you can go to www.patreon.com slash esther's follies and uh, sign up and and every week we send at least two or three sketches out this week we did one uh, we put it out early so that it just tells people to vote. It's to the song shout, vote,
1: <laughs> yeah. Nice. And,
0: and we'll make sure and we, we have links to all that for the people at the um when I post this up there, so you'll be able to click right through to the books, or I mean, to the uh, Patreon. Pick your level of support and go from there.
2: Yeah, and we also started a YouTube channel too, so that we can put some things up on that and just make it good, uh, open to everybody. So
0: cool.
1: Have you? uh Do you have a oh. an archive of old? Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, in hey, fact,
2: our magician Ray Anderson has been nice. really jonesing because he he can't really be in these sketches, and all of his big illusions are all built into our theater. So. He's not been able to do anything and he's, he just bought a, a ranch with his husband, Stephen. And so they've become, you know, country gentlemen. And, but he's just as bored as he can be really right. for him again. And so we've been kind of in a quandary what to do as far as if, cause it just doesn't seem safe really to have a, an indoor event, even with just 50 people, you know, it just doesn't feel, it feels kind of scary. So we don't want to do that yet,
0: but. Mm-hmm. And we don't
2: really have an outdoor space and it's getting cold now, so that might not be too smart either. But uh, eventually we will be able to get back in the show and he'll be able to do it. But but uh, he has been um, doing some of his archival magic pieces that aren't in the show anymore and, and posting those on. Uh, so we have some Esther's classic, Esther's archives, so you can go back and see his magic pieces and Margaret Wiley doing Chi-Chi La Bamba. And right. Dante doing the Dame Della Diva, which goes way back.
0: Now, one, group. That was always one of the fun things about the show is when you had guests in from out of town, you know, you you'd take them to go see it. And it's you'd been before, but it was like, well, it's completely different than it was three years ago. You know, that, so that was always fun.
2: I know. Well, we've we've always been about half tourists in the audience because people have heard about it from their friends, or you know, when you've come to call when you're in college, you bring your parents, or when you we've had generations come through and say, "Oh my, my dad brought me here when I was just a teenager, and now I'm bringing my kids." It's like, okay.
1: And the truth is, <laughs> when you have guests in town and they take them to the follies, make them sit on the aisle.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. That they'll get gotten by the magician. Exactly. They used to get gotten by Margaret Wiley, but now the the magician yeah. comes and does the, the robot into their face.
1: Well, uh, Ray got my wife the last time we were there. <laughs> and she's a shy, retiring young thing. So oh, yeah. it
2: probably why he picked her, although yeah. she probably was twinkling. Anytime he looks, he's always there at the beginning of the night, peeking through the curtains to see which ones seem to be smiling at the warm up act. Uh, and then those are the ones that he picks
1: yeah okay tell me i i would love to one question i've had because you have been involved in restaurants you you've had patsies you've uh liberty lunch was golly uh a really important part of my introduction to austin uh just absolutely loved liberty lunch and
2: Right. Well, it was actually two, two versions of Liberty Lunch. There was Michael's and mine, and we were the earliest ones who did it. And then, uh, and then we kind of went on and started doing Esther's and then, the uh, Jeanette and Ward and, and, uh, right. um, I can't remember his name right now. But I'll try to, but, uh, they took the second level of Liberty Lunch. And so an awful lot of people that, oh, they remember Liberty Lunch. It's that era that they really right. remember because there were more, uh, there were more traveling bands. Lots of lots of reggae going on then. Lots of smoking.
0: Credit for Oh no, I, I definitely remember it from the traveling bands. I mean, we but saw we some. brought
2: people like Beto, Elo, Fairlanes into mm-hmm. the stage, and the Lotions and some right. other big bands played back there on that old. Uh, you know, it was just an old wagon. Uh, uh, it was called the wagon yard, but it had and it had been a wagon yard in like hundred years ago. But then it was a a place. Lumberyard. So we left all the lumberyard woodwork up there. And when we were there was when the, um, oh, they were starting to tear down the armadillo. And uh, Jim Franklin, the artist, was uh, making armadillo shells in our backyard. And so we were part of that last show where they all, we were crawling around like armadillos in our shells. So we did a lot of,
0: (laughs) a lot of. I moved to Austin. So So. so let's um I know you know we've touched on a little bit, but let's talk a little more about uh the pandemic and and has your like your do you own your building or has your landlord been forgiving or
2: No, we own our building. So we are our landlord, thank God. That one has been really helpful for us. But uh we have two restaurants right now. We had three. Um, uh, we had Patsy's Cafe, which was over uh, on the way up to the airport, but we lost that one. But uh due to the pandemic, basically we couldn't afford it, and we didn't have we didn't own that building. But uh, we have rented, and and we do are working with a very sweet man as our landlord at the Tavern at 12th and Lamar. Mm-hmm. That says the Tavern, air conditioned. Yep, air conditioned there. <laughs> <laughs>
0: I've been there many a times. <laughs> and also
2: a ghost by the way, <laughs> a ghost by the name of Emily who really? uh, I, I have played now because we we've, uh, we've been a we did a dinner, dinner theater there we were just going strong with our dinner theater that was written by Sean Brannigan, a, a, one of our writers at Esther's and we were the Scooby Doo characters and they were, you know, it was all about a, a murder mystery uh with a dinner so there was like a three-course dinner with it and uh and we were having a blast i was i was emily the ghost and uh i got killed i, I died several times actually <laughs> <laughs> but that was fun unfortunately we can't do that right now right now because it involved people not knowing each other sitting all together around tables so uh, you know we'll have to wait and start that over again and what was your third one Tavern has done very well, and right now it 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 had we had had it in the 80s, and then we had a, a partner that got involved in it, and and he put lots of money into it. So we decided uh, he was he was not really he didn't he wasn't cognizant to what it really was. The, the tavern has always been a place where everybody brought their wives or their cohorts or their you know lobbyists or whatever the university kids would go there and have a big old pitcher of beer and talk about everything and uh and this was uh he was saying that he wanted it to be a liquor by the drink only and no beer and we were like what the tavern no beer come on (laughs) but uh so he said we just well either you buy me out or i'll buy you out and he uh had to buy us out. So unfortunately we were out of it then and uh, didn't get it back until about three years ago. Which he sold it to somebody else. I sold it to somebody else and then sold it to the guys that had uh, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember. Yeah, Bob Cole and uh, and Ellis Winsanley and Ellis sold it to us and uh, so since then it's been, it was a sports bar when we uh, inherited it again so now it really is a sports bar at heart but it's got that same feeling that it's always had there which it's had since the 1930s it's it's been a place where you could go and drink and talk and and find out things that were going on in town it's a it's a beautiful place and we've tried to keep all of the spirit of it my husband michael built uh, made it so you could go upstairs uh, when we got it in the 80s the comptroller's office had, had uh, closed it down and sold everything in it including all the great tables that were all carved up and stuff and uh, we found the people that bought those tables and we rented them back so we could have the the same feeling of the tavern and uh, and so and then and Michael had opened up the upstairs which used to be supposedly a uh, a brothel and there were ladies up there with their cribs, and uh, and that's I uh, hear where Emily came in. She was one of the one of the ladies of the night up there, and she got killed by somebody. I you know, they've said that, that there's some shoes that are up in a in a shadow box that possibly were Emily's, and uh, and so she is supposed, she's supposed to do things occasionally, like knock things off of shelves and stuff like that. But. Nice. <laughs> the ghost hunters love us there when they bring people through to uh to take a look at the tavern and then our second place that we just got again from ellis winstanley is uh, at 31st and i-35 it's called stars cafe yep. it used to be called stars cafe back when we were coffee drinkers and actors and stuff and then they changed it to star seeds and so now it's kind of got a Conglomerate of a name. It's either Star Seeds or Stars, depending on <laughs> when you like better. <laughs> you know, nice. It's a little diner. It was a twenty-four hour diner, but now it's a, a seven in the morning till six at night diner until we can afford to have a second staff of people. But it's doing well. Good place to have breakfast. Good place to have lunch.
1: So who comes? Who's your your clientele? There is it college students? Is it? Yeah.
2: It's college students. It's people, night owls, it, and and uh, and people that uh, have just are like diners, you know, yes. like diners. So it's just, it's got a big mix bag of people that come there. It's also right across from Seton, the hospital, Ascension, and yes. uh, so get a lot of people from that too. But it, the business has not been very good there. Unfortunately, it's been pretty quiet, and uh, I hope we can make it with that one. There's. It seems like small businesses, smaller small businesses are really having a tough time right now mm-hmm. with the pandemic. There's just not enough, uh, enough space or they don't have an outdoor area. And, you know, I'm, it's just breaking my heart. The places that are closing down, not just restaurants, but people like that great lady who sells costumes and, and wigs and stuff over on, on, uh, uh, Riverside and yep. uh, bazaar um. closing. It's just, so many people are closing right now just because they can't, they can't afford it, can't do it. Well, did and you that brings us any
1: to of the uh, pandemic, uh, stimulus help.
2: Yes, we did. We were able to, uh, get the PPP, uh, yeah. and, uh, get the first batch of, uh, that. And so we were able to pay our actors and our writers and performers and stuff, uh, for at least, well, it seemed like at least three months. So that was really wonderful. Yes, but that
0: money
2: ran out. So. Yeah, right. As we- well, now everybody's on unemployment.
0: <laughs> well, so that brings us to the other area that we want to uh, talk about was, um, I know lately there's been a lot of talk about this Proposition A, and for people who don't know what Prop A is, it's um, it's a transportation package to add, I believe, two trains and a couple of high-speed buses, build some new um, stops, uh, and build a tunnel underground, which I'm not really understanding that well. I'm not sure why we need that. But um, mm-hmm. I know Joel knows that I have a long history with disliking their choices for transportation here in Austin, uh, dating yeah. back to the train to nowhere, you know, which originally <laughs> I thought should have come from the airport to the convention center where we had existing tracks. But what do I know? Yeah. You know, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you know, we we get rid of the Dillo, and then we say, well, we yeah. need some kind of transportation downtown. We tear up tracks. I, it, it just seems so schizophrenic. What's their what they do? So did yeah,
2: and, and Capital Metro has always gotten so much money for what they do, and so little response. You know, so little bodies in seats so to speak, me, you know, and I'm just, I've, I've heard the numbers and it's like in 1990, they started, you know, with all these full tilt boogie good stuff. And, and now in 2020, there still has about the same amount of people riding the bus or the train. There's not that much. (laughs) And that's really, you know, when everybody says, Oh, but we'll be able to, you know, we'll be able to leave our cars behind and get on the train. And I'm just saying, well, yeah, that would be fun. However, people don't. You know, so that is part of the reality, too. My my biggest problem with Prop A and the reason why I've kind of come out strongly against it is that I feel that it is the worst possible timing to be doing this. And I think the only reason that they chose this election to put it before the public was because of this this particular election with the, all the liberals in town are going to be probably pushing to get rid of uh, Trump and uh, and therefore there will be more people that might be able to do this uh, the biggest problem with it for me as a person that owns a building and a home too is is the uh, property taxes they're going to go up so incredibly high and they're never going to go down it's not like a bond where you'll pay for it and then it'll be over and you'll be able to go back to normal or whatever normal is then it's just going to be that and then more because (laughs) property taxes are going to go much higher in austin austin is the place to be now if you're not you know moving to the coasts so um I just I really feel like it's going to be very detrimental to small businesses that are going to have to pay the, the money that they are going to have to pay their their landlords to pay the property taxes. My particular one would go up three three thousand dollars a year, which is a lot for me right now because we don't have anything going on and we're not doing a show. So if we were doing really well, I might be you know, a little bit more free to say, okay, let's do it. Let's, let's build this train, but I'm not. And so I'm, I'm trying to just, let's say, Hey, let's wait a little bit. Let's do this incrementally. Let's try to make it not all at once and not all. So putting, you know, it's places are going to go out of business. And the other element to me is that uh, all these big buildings downtown of which, like the Downtown Austin Alliance is for this, but their people that pay them to be alive, to be, you know, their, their Downtown Austin Alliance people, their businesses are, are, uh, not going to have that many people renting their, their floors with mm-hmm. lawyers and, and, you know, it's just going to be, it's going to be a different world now with the pandemic and after the pandemic because they're going to find out that people are maybe not going to all flock down to rent high-cost high building spaces. They're going to be still working at home, or at least our staff will be. So I think we need to kind of keep an eye on things and and move a little slower and try, try to help the people that need huh, – they just need to be able to be helped with the – so the government's not helping us and there's no more money coming from Mr. McConnell and all of them, they all went home. They were happy, but uh, the, uh, you know, I I just think a lot of people are going to need help and and our state and our city uh, and, and, and our federal government should be helping. I'm much, much more of a Democrat, a yellow dog Democrat than I probably led on being a liberal, but I think everybody is going to need just help existing and paying their electricity bills and their, their rent.
0: (laughs) When you bring up another good point there, um, as part of the nature of this podcast, you know, I do a lot of research on people coming here and and why they want to be here, you know, and stuff like that. So, um, you know, obviously since the pandemic, they kind of thought people would hunker down where they're at, but us, Colorado, Montana are getting flooded by people from New York, Chicago and Mm -hmm. Los Angeles and whatever wanting but they don't want the condos downtown. They want place places with space. So now we have all it's not just people not going downtown to work, but we may not have a lot of people wanting to live downtown. And so to try to build a new traffic pattern or you know do anything like that in the middle of all this until it sorts out it just seems like an incredibly bad idea.
2: It seems like the money is going to be just thrown into a hole, basically. And and then they'll figure it out eventually, but not that will not help some of these people that are having to pay their property taxes and pay pay for all of it to happen. So
0: Well Lord knows we love a study. You know? (laughs) Yeah,
2: let's have another study. Why not? No, I I can imagine that it's going to do pretty well for places like you know going further out of town like Kyle and like like you know Flickerville and and Round Rock and and some of the other Bastrop they'll they'll do all right because more people can have a land a piece of land with their house and and therefore be not just stuck in a in a condo downtown but uh, I don't know I'm sure we will have some condo. Mm -hmm. Oh, you know, there will be the young people that really want to live close to the action and stuff again, and that's fine. And we're happy where we are down on Sixth Street because eventually we'll be reopening again, and we've got the convention center right behind us, and all the hopefully there'll be a few restaurants left. You
0: know. Oh yeah. Did you? Do you have a question, Joel? Okay.
1: Well, no, I have. We took off on this political (laughs) direction. I was going to. I'm really curious as to where your love for restaurants came from.
2: Oh, I I had to work in restaurants growing up. I mean, I was I did everything from uh, you know being able to. uh, I had fruit on my head at a at a at a little bar where I dressed like Carmen Miranda. (laughs) Okay. I've had lots of jobs in the service industry. So, yeah. so um, you know, and then, of course, you know, you always think that you could run a restaurant just as well as anybody else. And so that's how Liberty Lunch got started. $50 yeah. each we all put in and we thought, okay, well, we can do this. It's easy.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was a little deeper back then,
2: but yeah. it's never easy to do a restaurant.
1: So where did you grow up?
2: I grew up in Fort Worth. I was um, actually, I was born in Los Angeles because my dad was going to be a, a singing cowboy star. Oh. Yeah. And uh, my mother worked for MGM and uh, it was all during the, the really bad era where uh, McCarthyism was making everybody turn each other in and stuff. So uh, that, there are some great stories from that. I was not really cognizant of it, but uh, we came to Texas when I was three. And uh, so I grew up in Fort Worth and I, didn't like Fort Worth I thought it was just the boringest town there was but later I found after I went to Austin went to college that Fort Worth actually was really cool it was it was a great town for you know gangsters and and all kinds of cool things going on there but uh, Dallas was always boring but
1: <laughs> well, that's the best part about Fort Worth is it's not Dallas exactly
2: yeah <laughs> well it was a great place to grow up it was very simple and uh and but of course i always wanted to go to ut and go to the drama school there so that's that's where i did and it was at the time you could afford it you know it wasn't as expensive and of course when i came down to college it was right during the uh the whole uh vietnam war everybody was protesting and and so the university was a fabulous place to be and uh so I was I was definitely in everything there, and the SDS loved our show. Now the Revolution, they thought we were much more, more you know, political than we really were. We were just more actors, but uh, <laughs> it was still, <laughs> it was still a great show to be a part of. And then it went to New York and and uh, did a show at the uh, Joe Papp Theater. The mm-hmm. and I did not get to go do that because I felt at the time that I needed to stay and go to school. And unfortunately, that's what I did. I stayed here. But Michael and I became entrepreneurs. We ran a film series on campus uh, showing short films. And uh, so we kind of got our business sense doing that. And then when we decided that maybe we didn't really care about getting our degrees, I had a drama degree. What would I do with that? Uh, then that's when we decided we'd go into the restaurant business. And and we started Liberty Lunch. and. Right. I dragged theater into it.
0: Thank you, by the way. <laughs> no, it's funny that, um, you know, probably the two places I frequented most when I first moved here to Austin were Liberty Lunch and and the Tavern. So it's yeah. kind of like funny. <laughs> you have both. No, that was my
1: Friday afternoon. Every Friday afternoon, go to the Tavern.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's
2: always had that kind of feeling for it. There's some really great places in Austin that I really hope that they maintain because it was such a shame to see uh, that Threadgills was closing and that they were even going to tear it down. Yeah. You know, the old, the, the one on, uh, Lamar. There, Yeah. On Lamar where, you know, Janis Joplin saying, my God, you should keep places <laughs> like that
1: around. But you know? Oh, you know, as a musician, that, that's a historical site. It is. You know, it's uh, so many of my musical friends are bemoaning the fate of all these wonderful places.
2: Yeah. You know? Well, I've always been a big his- history buff. Like when I w- went to visit Los Angeles later, I, j- I really got more into looking at the uh, the great old buildings and the uh, and the history of the town and and, and watching old movies of, of those times and uh, that's that made me really love my old my real hometown which I grew up there when I was one to three but uh, and, and I'd love to go back there sometime my son is living there now he's almost 21 and he's gonna be a filmmaker and make me proud have no doubt wonderful
0: <laughs> so when we were jumping around on stuff, I, I had a curiosity question for you. I believe, if I r- remember right, you do Ann Richards, right? Yeah. Did I had Ann, fun doing it. Did Ann Not ever see did
2: you do that? She came and saw us, too. She'd sit on the front row with her big white hair getting in everybody's <laughs> face. You know? No, that was but she But she was an amazing lady. And, and, you know, also Liz Carpenter, who was one of her – uh, cohorts. And, uh, Liz loved Esther's Follies. And she, she especially loved that we would come to her house and do bits for her friends there and when she'd have her friends over and they'd howl at the moon. And, and so she asked me and Leova Rosenoff, our musical director to, uh, to go on a, on a little whistle stop kind of, uh, we get, we got in this RV and we went to all these small towns of Texas all over everywhere from, you know, uh Oh, I mean, just every small town, <laughs> literally yeah. drive up in our RV. We'd get out, we'd pack out our little piano and we'd play about three songs the had written that I had, I sang and, uh, and we'd invite the press and someone would speak. And then they would get it on the 6 o'clock news, and we'd be off to the next little town. We, awesome. we had such a good time doing that. And when we went to, um, Liz had some good friends, like Carol Channing, and she invited Carol Channing to come to um, College Station. So we got to do a special show with Carol, handy and I helped her hand out fake diamond rings to all the young boys.
1: <laughs> <laughs> That's <laughs> nice. Did you ever do much with Molly Ivan?
2: i i got to a little bit there was a great uh, thing that liz did at her uh, uh she was doing the shows at the lbj library and she did a funny lady conference that she invited about six fabulous funny people like fanny flag and and uh and molly ivans and oh god who else she was There were just amazing women there and uh and I was I was the token young Austin one, <laughs> so I could there too. And uh, that was just an amazing event. And so yeah, I did get to see her a little bit. I, we weren't really close friends, but but yes, I loved Molly Ivins. I've got all
1: her books. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah, well she used to uh, judge the pun off, which is where you and I met.
2: That's right. Yeah,
1: It was irascible. <laughs> she was a great judge. She probably had some great things to say about some of those
2: puns. It made um, me
1: glad I was not competing.
2: Yeah. Well, good. You were probably an elder statesman by that time, huh?
1: I was, yes.
0: <laughs> uh, well, Gary
2: Halleck uh, always used to come over and ask me if he could, uh, he was the one who started the pun off, and he asked me if I would be a judge. I was a judge probably about three or four times. Yeah. It was a lot better to judge the pun off than it was to judge the spamorama. I want you to know.
0: Yeah. Oh, now what <laughs> was wrong with that? <laughs> <Ooh>.
2: <laughs> you only got two, two passes. <laughs> you know, <laughs> some, you had to eat a bite of every single one of those things. Yeah. Um, some yeah. of them were fabulous, but mm-hmm. some of them really not. <laughs> that was
1: some uh, amazing creativity, oh. spamorama.
2: Yeah, definitely. David Arnsberger is yeah. fabulous. He really did a great job with that. I'm sorry that he hasn't been able to do more things since then, you know, because I loved him and I loved all the guys in the, in the, uh,
1: The uh,
2: yeah, and the Uranium Savages, because they were at the same time that we were doing things, Esther's the Savages were also doing their own version, their misogynistic version of everything.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They were great.
2: But they were—they are still doing their thing, and exactly. I'm happy to be their friend. There's oh, some oh. great talent in this town.
1: Absolutely.
0: Well, we um typically we we talk to people for about an hour, so I don't want to keep you from your dinner because we have a few more questions to ask you. But we will definitely revisit this conversation with you um, because there's—we didn't know there was all this extra wealth to dig into. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, another thing that I got to do with Anne Richards was just fabulous. She, when she won, of course, we all we we'd walk down Congress Avenue to the to the to the uh, mansion and to the to the Capitol, and uh, and Margaret Wiley, who made great things out of, she was always called the Queen of Foam Core, and and. <laughs> She did incredible things up cheaply, you know. And she had done a a, a big float that uh, Jim Hightower and and Ann were able to be on, and and uh, Jim was he was throwing corn stalks because he was the <laughs> agriculture. Yeah. You know? But uh, and then she they invited us to be a part of the uh, the whole uh, inauguration event, and uh, so I got to. We had built, Margaret had built a big, giant uh, box that looked like a um, box of of, um, soap, you know, new, improved, Texas. And I came out of it dressed as Ann Richards, and the house came down. Oh, that's fantastic. Amazing moment. I, I don't know if it's on tape anywhere, but it was fun to do.
1: So when is your book coming out?
2: We have our book out already. We've had it out for a couple of years now. Uh, we did uh, did a stint at the at the book festival. Uh, yeah. it, it's a coffee table book, so it's mostly pictures. Uh, but it's written by Jesse Sublet. I don't know if you know Jesse. Oh yeah, great he right And he's written lots of uh, gangster books, and yeah. but he and he wrote um, the one for uh, 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 Threadgill's guy, uh, Eddie, Eddie Wilson.
1: Eddie,
2: yeah. He, Eddie's uh, book, and uh, and he wrote our book. Pretty close to the same year.
1: Well, I'm thinking you need to do an autobiography memoir.
2: Well, if I could find somebody to remember dates and names, I'd be (laughs) (laughs) fine.
0: You're creative. Make them up.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: (laughs) This may not be factual, Um, but it's a...
2: And and now we still have a lot of our friends that are that are in L.A. or in New York or, you know, scattered all over the place. But uh, it and it's, you know, it's someday soon. We'll probably have a once we can all perform again together. We'll probably have a big party and have everybody back just to be
0: company.
1: That'll be awesome.
0: So here's where we'd like to find out a little bit more about you. Uh Um you know, you told us you grew up in Fort Worth. Um, so was the first time you really spent any time in Austin uh, when you went to college?
2: No, my grandmother lived here. So oh, okay. I grew up visiting Austin to visit my grandmother who lived over in Hyde Park. And uh, she had a great little house with a banana tree in the backyard. And uh, she lived to be 102. Wow. But unfortunately, you know, when you live that long, you either... Lose your mind, or you lose your uh, ability to move around. She she didn't lose her mind, but she 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 was just the sweetest lady in the world. She would always say, "Oh, look at that beautiful bug there," and then we'd talk about that bug for a long time. <laughs> 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 but I, I I'm very happy that my grandmother Ruby, Ruby Lee Cook was my first uh, admission to to Austin. And Austin just blew me away because when I grew up in Fort Worth, when you go swimming, the water is brown. Mm-hmm. You know, all the way down. You don't see much past your your chest. But in Austin the water was clear. It was Barn Springs. It was absolutely amazing. And so that I always loved Austin. I always wanted to come and live here.
0: And invigorating in the middle of the summer as opposed to just feeling like warm yeah. bath water.
2: So. Yes, absolutely. Well, I thought, I mean, I would either go Fort Worth Lake, which you you know could not see anywhere past here, and uh, and and or I'd go to the coast, you know, Galveston, and the water was brown there. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought water is brown, you
0: know. <laughs> so, what was your first impressions of Austin as you were visiting, growing as a child, coming down here as a child?
2: well it was definitely the water but it, and it mm-hmm. was also just the fact that there was this incredible springs in the middle of the city it was you know that was just amazing to me that that there were you know the indians had known about this so obviously this town was pretty special i heard about the violet crown which was the uh, the the fact that austin was just kind of it's it, kind of mythical kind of uh, special magical So, and it's always been that way for me, even still is. Um, I definitely would never want to move someplace else. I I like being here. I mean, I could live somewhere else, obviously, but, and my kids all want me to move to Los Angeles. But, uh, and I, of course, have flirted with moving to Mexico because I love Mexico too. But Austin is nice because it's right in the middle of everything and, and I could go anywhere. As soon as we can get on airplanes again
0: Right <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's been a big change um, So I know one of the things that Joel And I've talked about, and you've been A resident here long enough to have seen This, is when There was a much slower pace of life here It seemed like uh, Through the 80s Early 90s and stuff like that That um. I'm sure coming from Fort Worth, that was different when you guys were trying to start businesses and stuff like that, that it was a little, didn't seem to be as hectic all the time.
2: Well, I think really, I mean, I've been in a world that's a little bit different. Sixth Street is very vibrant Mm -hmm. and it's everybody comes down to. So I've always been right in the middle of the action. So I I really haven't felt that it's been, I've never lived out in the country and 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 sat and watched a sunset. I've I've always been working, <laughs> so yeah. so I've seen the Austin that is. But you know, at the same time, it's a sweet town. It's a mm-hmm. sweet place. the The attitudes are are really really loving, and and I feel like that's that's pretty unique. I don't think that's true of of any other city that I've been to. Um, you know, some some are. are close like atlanta had a nice feel to it uh, when we lived there um we were doing that show now the revolution when we went to atlanta and it felt like austin but mostly it was because of the university Mm -hmm. the university stretches people and even though i don't think ut really gets out into the community very well i really think they should but they don't uh and but but it's just having smart people in town having, you know, a lot of different ideas, you know, there's always a flow of ideas and people don't mind talking about their entrepreneurial things. And, and so, you know, I, I felt totally able to try anything, you know, try a a crazy idea that I might have because I knew that, that Austin would accept it and that we had a certain sense of, and having grown up through the, uh, you know, the, the, the Willie Nelson and the Jerry Jeffs and the Cosmic Cowboy time. I worked it at, at a place called um, the uh, the Saxon Pub and mm-hmm. Castle Creek, and and uh, so here were hippies and and uh, rednecks together, mm-hmm. and they were not at all alike. You know, but they really sort of did get along together. Probably helped that they all smoked pot. But you know, it was just a <laughs> Good, good thing a that Austin made people feel like they could they could coexist. Yeah. Yeah, that, I, that's still the case. I'm just very optimistic about that.
0: No, that's actually, Joel will tell you, that's one of the reasons I wound up relocating here was because I actually saw examples of people coexisting together. you know And it was like, oh, this doesn't happen in Dallas. No, it doesn't <laughs> happen
2: anywhere else.
0: Really. So uh, one of the things... Um, we normally ask our guests, you know, where are the biggest changes you've seen? And you know, that's always traffic and all this kind of stuff. But since you've got a unique perspective of being down on sixth street, this whole time, that seems to ebb and flow at different times. What do, what's your impression of that? Well,
2: I think the only thing that that's negative right now is that, uh, I'm on the board of echo, uh, which is, uh, tries to help the homeless. And, uh, it is just miserable for the homeless in Austin. It's miserable in Los Angeles too. I I've seen that in person as well, but, but there just doesn't seem enough, you know, it's more, people are more worried about looking at their tents than thinking about how they could be better off if we just got some more housing for them. So I'm that's, that's been the only negative thing that I've seen growing and growing and not getting better. And, uh, I hope that I hope that's one good thing that Abbott and his city council has done somewhat but not enough and I I really feel like that's super important right now to try to get people at least live, having their ability to live in a in a home or have a place to live and especially the the African American public the east side is 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 being gentrified and it's Fun, but but where's everybody getting to go? There's right. just there, you know. Go on, move someplace else. You know, it's that's 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 the only thing that I would say I'd really like to see better handled in our town.
0: And so, when you're not working Esther's Follies, where where are some of your go to places?
2: Oh, I always end up eating at Cisco's, <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: nice. and I. I usually try, you know, I live in Westlake, so I'm, I'm out there a lot, but, uh, I, I really enjoyed the, when I was, when my kids were small enough to go to school, I was able to do crazy things there. So I was like the, I was the wedding singer in the Q and U wedding. Uh, so I mean, I miss, I miss sweet things like that, but, uh, now that my kids are old enough and out, I'm, I'm having to, uh, find other activities. And so, I need to get more involved in the community and other things. But uh, Echo has been a great experience. I've been now there on the on that board for about four years. And uh, I hope that we're helping. It's still, you know, it's just not, not, life is not so easy for the people that do not have any money and do not have a place to live.
0: Yeah. So this one should be fun to ask you. Um, since Austin likes to, call, you know, say its mottos, keep Austin weird. What is the weirdest <laughs> thing you've seen since living in Austin?
2: Oh my! Well, there have been lots of things down on Sixth Street yeah. that were weird for sure. I <laughs> First of all, my one of my friends from high school, Red Wasnick, made that up. He made up that phrase, "Keep Austin Weird." He never made any money off of it. He's no longer alive, but he, but he, he was he did write a book, I think about it but uh, I, I, one, one Halloween Halloween's used to be a whole lot of fun on sixth Street um, they were not treated like the Dallas you know where people had to walk, walk around in circles and only go one way uh, for a while there everybody you know was creative with their costumes and and it was just an amazing thing to watch um, and one year around Halloween it wasn't actually Halloween night itself but uh, there were these people that dressed up as giant bugs. They were fiberglass costumes that were like 8 to 10 feet tall, and they were all different versions of bugs of some sort. And they took over the stage. they ran in the door, and they all took over, and they were like and scaring everybody and stuff. And then from the back, which are, was our entrance, there came a clarion call, and it was a raid can about 12 feet tall. <laughs> running up the aisle. And they all went, ah! and scampered off, and ran out the door, and we all stopped. We had stopped the show, because it was we were in the middle of the show. And then we just got that, okay, and kept on going. So you it. had
1: no idea it was coming?
2: No, no. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. Awesome. Did
0: you ever find out who they were? No, never I, did. Well, no, I was wondering <laughs> if it might have been some of your friends pulling a prank on you or something.
2: I don't know. I think they just thought we had a good stage. <laughs> so they better go, go hit it. There have been some great gay parades down that stopped the show too, right in the middle, but on the, on the street basically. But anytime something's happening on the street where you don't really want to compete with it, you just stop and let them take over for a while. <laughs> and that's,
0: that's the best way. <laughs> so our final question today will be um, if you had to give, Advice to somebody moving to Austin, what would you tell them?
2: Okay, what would I tell them? It's going to get better here. It is. I think you know it's just a terrible time everywhere, but uh, but um, the pandemic is going to go away eventually, sometime next year, and uh, and then you can enjoy yourself again and uh, and just take part in everything you possibly can like uh, the festivals the Opanco Street Festival down on 6th Street is a fabulous thing. I've been on that board forever too. But uh that's that's there's there's things that pop up on the east side and pop up, you know, now that and the food situation here, the foodie situation is incredible. So just do everything you possibly can. Go to the the food and wine festivals and 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 learn about restaurateurs that are in town. And, you know, don't just think you gotta just go to Franklin's. Go try the other bar- barbecue places that are, that are flocking in here and, and, and listen to what people say about what they love because that's, that's what I Austin has always been a place where people will come to. And, and then, and, you know, we always say, oh, we could have been here. If we were just here five years ago, it would have been so much better. That's when everything cool was happening, but that's not true. Everything is going to happen in five more years.
1: So. Yes. Absolutely. So, <laughs> so go ahead. before we go, uh, please plug the Patreon page and your book and your YouTube channel and uh, how can the world find you?
2: Well, I hope that they will come to Patreon because that's definitely a great place to see what we're working on right now. And we're doing some really funny stuff and, uh, and our, our writers are working overtime. So it's com slash Esther's Follies. E-S-T-H-E-R-S-F-O-L-L-I-E-S.
0: And that's
2: everybody asked me, What the heck? Why did you call yourself Esther's Follies? And I said, Well, uh, it was Esther Williams, but I don't really know exactly why we chose that name, but the Follies made sense because we wanted to do a vaudeville kind of show and Esther Williams just did big splashy production numbers, so we got stuck with that. <laughs>
0: so And you have sponsorship.
2: Uh, for sale again at Book People because I noticed they didn't have any. I called them the other day th- today, actually. And uh, they said, oh, we'd love to have some more books. So we'll have some books at Book People. So go go buy something at Book People, which is a local place.
0: and Wonderful place. Support them. Mm-hmm. So And your sponsorships at Patreon were anywhere between $105? $100 oh, yeah, to $5 5?
2: is the, the right, minimum. minimum. That's that's not bad. Five dollars a month, no. and uh, most of the people used to go ten to twenty five, and and we split all that money up amongst our writers and performers. Excellent. So they make anywhere two hundred bucks a month or something like that. So
0: Wonderful. it helps, and at else. different prices, guys. There's different prizes you can get. So just yeah, do what you're comfortable your with and get your with, stuff
2: with carry ons. Esther Spolly's logo on the front, and uh, and. And our book, yeah, <laughs> and tickets. Yeah, and actually, if, if you give a hundred dollars, you can uh, actually be in a sketch. Nice, we've had oh, people joy. do that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it has been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Shannon. Thank it's you, great to see you yeah, again. it really has. To see
2: you. Great to meet you, Bob. And yeah, I, I appreciate y'all. Leading me through my memories. (laughs) Oh, no, no worries. Like I said,
0: we're going to have to have you back to start digging on the tavern and Liberty Lunch and other things. So, yeah, 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 for sure. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Well, folks, that's it for this week. We'll see you next time on the Trail to Austin. Bye bye.